edition of Jamal about sports coming to you on a Tuesday night, November 12, 2019, kicking off the show, Little Mississippi Queen by Mountain and the great Leslie West. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. Thank you for joining us. We've got a big show to get to. We've got NFL Week 11 in the books. We've got college football as the, uh, you know, final four, as it were. Playoffs starts to come into focus a little bit after the big, big game between LSU and Alabama. We'll go through some of the other big games over the weekend that took place as well, although long way to go still in determining who the, uh, the playoff teams are going to be. And we'll get to uh, a little NBA. We were going to talk Knicks last week, didn't have time. We'll get to it this week as uh, that organization continues to be a train wreck. But we begin in the NFL with my Detroit Lions with, for the first time in 136 games, Matthew Stafford not making a start. Uh, a surprise scratch right before the game in Chicago. Um, you know, a must-have game. You know, I really thought the game the week prior against the Raiders really was a must-have game with, you know, the Seahawks playing as well as they're playing, the Niners playing as well as they're playing, the Vikings and the Packers. You know, right now, obviously still long, still, you know, seven games to go, but right now you'd have the Packers win division, Vikings playoff uh, wild card. Niners winning division, Seahawks wild card, and Seahawks have eight wins, Vikings have seven. Um, but if the Lions wanted to have any shot, they needed to beat the Bears. Um, and then, look, it's pretty simple. No Matthew Stafford, no shot. I mean, that, that, that's what it comes down to. I know you could say it's an oversimplification, but that's bottom line. Um, this guy has been probably one of the more underappreciated, if not the most underappreciated player in the NFL. You know, he's not flashy as far as national profile goes, right? He doesn't do uh, witty, pithy, funny state farm commercials like other quarterbacks in the division do. Uh, he doesn't do chunky soup commercials like some of the other quarterbacks in the NFC do. Um, I think the only, I don't think he does any national ads. I, I think he does some local stuff in and around Detroit. Um, so, you know, and he plays for a team that's not particularly good, year in and year out. So only made the playoffs three times. Hadn't won a playoff. The team has not won a playoff game the three times he's made the, 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 that they've made it. Certainly through no fault of his own. I mean, we know about the, the game against the Cowboys in 14 with the picked-up flag. 2011, he played great against the Saints. Lions defense couldn't get a stop when they needed one. Also, some poor officiating in that game cost them. Um, and then when they made when they, when they played the Seahawks a couple of years ago, I mean, first of all, he's playing with a broken finger. Second of all, you know, Golden Tate drops a big third down pass in the first drive of the game. Ebron drops one in the second drive of the game. It would have minimum put him in field goal range. So, look, if anybody thinks Matthew Stafford's the problem with the Lions, they're out of their minds. And Sunday, this past Sunday, showed it. Now, look, Jeff Driscoll, to be fair, did not was not horrible. And Jeff Driscoll is an intriguing prospect in the sense that he's got all the measurables, right? 6'4", 235, ran sub 4'6". Combine, you can see he can run well. He's got a pretty good arm. Uh, he just hasn't played much. You know, he's a big-time recruit. 
coming out of high school, went to Florida, was horribly coached there. The, the whole thing was a disaster. I think that was the, uh, the McElwain era. Um, transferred to Louisiana Tech late, uh, I think as a grad transfer. Sort of resurrected his career there, played in a, a system that was more conducive to his talents. And then, you know, got himself back on the, on the, on the picture, on the radar rather. Went to the senior ball, I believe, played okay. Got drafted by the Niners in the sixth round. You know, he's played a bunch in preseason. He started, I think, five games for the Bengals late last year. Wasn't horrible. So, listen, he's certainly not the heir apparent, but at least he's a youngish guy with some athleticism and some tools. It's not Matt Castle. Um, but look, Stafford's not going to, they're not going to shut Stafford down because he, he won't have it. And I, I, listen, I understand that. He's the leader of this team. He's the unquestioned leader of this team. Those guys in that locker room love Matthew Stafford, and rightfully so. The guy's a warrior. Guy's played through broken back last year, broken fingers, you know, all kinds of injuries. Never, never, you know, it's amazing though. You never hear about it because, you know, on a national level. Again, because he's not a self-promoter like others, <clears throat> Aaron Rodgers. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he basically plays in virtual anonymity. I mean, look, let's be honest. The only times the Lions are on the national spotlight, right, in the last, say, 10 years, is either A, the Calvin Johnson fiasco, B, Indomitian Sue, C, what happened on Monday night in Green Bay, you know, the Dallas playoff game. I mean, it's always negative. It's never positive, right? Never. I mean, Stafford was on pace for an MVP caliber year this year, but the rest of the team isn't very good, and that falls squarely on the shoulders of the general manager, Bob Quinn. So, you know, for all the in Quinn we trust uh, brigade out there on Twitter. Bob Quinn stinks, okay? You, you, I understand the desire and the need to cling to something, to try to believe this guy knows what he's doing because he came from the Patriots, right? But Bob Quinn has not done a very good job. He's just not. I mean, remember, he inherited a gift in Matthew Stafford. Right? I know I sound like a bro broken record here, um, but again, it's the hardest position in sports to fill. He took over a job that had that, and remember the Lions were, were coming off a playoff appearance when Quinn got the job. No, sorry, they'd made it in 14, they didn't make it in 15. 15 was the disaster where they started one and six, we're going to run the table in the second half and make the playoffs and then they had the disaster on Thursday night with the Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary. That after a bullshit face mask penalty on a, a, on a lateral play back to Aaron Rodgers where he was a runner and the guy's pinky grazed his face mask and of course he threw his neck back like he'd been shot because he's like a flopping basketball player, soccer player and the refs still fall for his crap. You saw it by the way on Sunday against the Panthers. Um, Good to, I, guess, I guess there's some solace to be had in the fact that not, the Lions are the only team that gets screwed by the refs when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Um, but anyway, the Lions are going to go run the table in the second half that year. They finished 7-9. and nine. They fired Mayhew. They brought in Quinn. He decided to keep Caldwell. And then they made the playoffs the next year. So Bob Quinn did not take over the 0-16 team. That was Martin Mayhew. And listen, Martin Mayhew made a million mistakes. 
most notably the fact that I don't think one second-round pick he ever took, other than Darius Slay, ever even made the team, let, out, let alone turn out to be a good player. And the job at best, you know, fiasco. But he also signed Golden Tate. He also signed Glover Quinn. He drafted Stafford. He drafted Sue. He drafted Nick Fairley. He drafted Darius Slay. He drafted Quandre Diggs. Drafted DeAndre Levy. Signed Kyle Vandenbosch. Signed Corey Williams. Signed, traded for Lawrence Jackson for nothing, who gave him one good year. Got Turk McBride for nothing, gave him a good year. Uh, Eric Wright was a good pickup in the Mayhew era. Antonio uh, Smith traded Ernie Sims for Tony Scheffler. That'd be like today trading Jared Davis for, I'm trying to think, who's like a good pass catching tight end? That's kind of really all he does. You know, Scheffler was, is not as good as Kelsey, but he was sort of in that same vein. I mean, may you, ha you know, listen, a lot of missteps in the draft, but he also brought in a lot of talent and, again, took over the worst situation in football. Now, he was part of it as Millen's assistant. I understand that. But, you know, hire Jim Schwartz, which I thought was a good hire. So this idea that Bob Quinn took over some train wreck and the cupboard was bare, no, 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 no. Not even close. He took over a team that made the playoffs in 2014, should have made it in 2015 with a top 10 minimum quarterback. And what has he done since then? Nothing. Team's done nothing. Look at his first draft in 2016. First round, Taylor Decker. Eh, Taylor Decker's been okay. Left tackle, Ohio State. He was a mid-round pick, 16th pick overall. He's been okay. He hasn't been a total disaster. He has not been great by any stretch. He's not all pro. First team, second team, third team, no. In fact, he's probably, you'd probably take every other tackle in the division over him. And some of those guys, like Charles Leno Jr., I believe, was an undrafted free agent from the Bears. So Taylor Decker hasn't been a disaster, but he hasn't been great. And that's not what you're looking for from a left tackle as a first round pick. You need that guy to be rock solid. He's not been that. He's been okay. That's first pick. Second pick, A. Sean Robinson. He's been a good player. Been a good player. Not great. Been good. Third round pick, Graham Glasgow. Good pick. Solid, good third round pick. Fourth round pick, Miles Killebrew. Special teams player only. Fifth round pick, Joe Dahl. Just started this year. He's an average, probably a league average player at left guard. Sixth, other fifth round pick, Antoine Williams, not on the team. Sixth round pick, Jake Rudock, not on the team. Out of football, just like Antoine Williams. Or I think Jake Rudock, maybe he's a third string quarterback in Miami, I'm not sure. So, as his first draft, no stars, no studs. The best pick probably that draft was Graham Glasgow in the third round, who's an above average starter at right guard. While that's not horrible, it's certainly not outstanding. Okay, so that's his first draft. Let's go to his second draft. Because now we're three years removed. This is the third season removed from the 2017 draft. Right? We always say that's probably when it, it makes most sense to be able to evaluate these drafts. First round pick, Jared Davis, total disaster. I don't care how much the Lions coaches love his attitude and his work ethic and his effort, he's not a good football player. Bottom line, 
Yes, he's a big, massive kiss-ass, and he does everything they ask, and that's all well and good, and he publicly praises the coaches every two seconds, but he's not been a good player. Second round pick, Tease Tabor, out of, the, out, of the, out of the league. I think actually maybe he just signed with somebody's practice squad. Total bust. Massive, total bust of a pick. Third round pick, Kenny Galladay, an emerging star. He definitely hit with that pick. Fourth round pick, Jalen Reeves-Maven, a very good special teams player, but a special teams player only. Fourth round pick, another fourth round pick, Michael Roberts, pick I liked at the time, out of football. Fifth round pick, Jamal Agnew, looked like he was gonna be a dynamic return guy. He has not been that after the knee injury. He's been okay as a returner, doesn't see any snaps on defense anymore. And then sixth round pick was Jeremiah Ledbetter, made the team for one year and was gone. So that 2017 draft, the best pick again, third round, Kenny Galladay, an emerging star. Not a star yet, but he's an emerging star. And then your next best player from that draft is Jalen Reeves-Maven, a fourth round pick who's a special teams guy only. Now, granted, he's a standout special teams player, but I'm sorry, that's the best you're gonna do from a draft? That's awful. That is awful. That is not any better than Martin Mayhew, by the way. In fact, it's worse. Now, now, probably a little early to uh, evaluate this draft, but so far, the early returns are not good. Frank Ragnow looks like a good pick. Good, solid player at center. Kerryon Johnson, first of all, they traded up for him. You know, what if, you know my feelings on trading up. It's dumb. It's beyond dumb. Unless you are a great team and you're one player away, it's beyond idiotic. You would think he would have learned this because the Patriots never trade up, they always trade down. But not Bob Quinn, he's smarter than everybody. Traded up for Kerryon Johnson, I didn't like the pick at the time. I looked like I was gonna be wrong last year because he looked pretty good. He looked horrible this year. And then of course got hurt again. He's gotten hurt now two years in a row, he's a China doll. His running style is not conducive to his frame. He's way too slight for the way he runs. I mean, look, not a bad player. He's okay. Also killed the Lions with a huge drop in the Green Bay game and then killed the Lions in the Chiefs game this year by idiotically putting the ball out over the end zone and fumbling and turning a, a touchdown leading to a touchdown deficit. So he was having a horrendous year this year before he got hurt anyway. Tracy Walker looks like he could be a very good player. Looks like he could be. He's not yet. I know all the Lions fans like to think because he made three plays last year and a couple more this year that he's somehow Ronnie Lott. He's not. But is he promising? Yes. Big, tall, rangy guy. But of course, he got hurt too the second he traded for Andre Diggs. Deshaun Hand, same thing. Been hurt all year. Showed flashes last year of being a good player. Played well. The, few, the little he's played this year, he's played well. Fourth round. Looks like a good pick. Terrell Crosby, fifth round. He's a swing tackle. He came in uh, this Sunday for an injured Rick Wagner, held up okay. He's okay, and then the, the dumbest pick in the history of football, drafting a fullback in the seventh round. I don't care that it's the seventh round. You don't draft fullbacks. You don't draft long snappers. They're a dime a dozen. You sign them as undrafted free agents. There's no reason in the world to ever waste a draft pick on a fullback. And on top of that, Nick Bowden, the fullback that he did draft in the Lions, insist on playing, is terrible at his job. He's a horrendous lead blocker. Absolutely awful. So, last year's draft, Ragnow 
above average starter. Tracy Walker, I think, will be an above average starter. Kerryon Johnson could be a bust. We'll see what happens next year. Deshaun Hand, probably. All right, so last year's draft is looking decent. It's looking decent. But again, where are the stars? So there's three drafts, zero stars. No studs. No real stars. No real game records. No real game changer. Galladay is close to becoming a bit of a game changer on offense. That's it. And in this draft, obviously, you know, too early to tell, except the early returns, again, are not very good. TJ Hawkinson, look, there's a reason why teams don't draft tight ends in the top 10 picks. Even if, he, if he's good, the impact that a good tight end has on a team versus the impact that a stud pass rusher has on a team, I mean, they just, it doesn't, it, it, the disparity is enormous. So even if TJ Hawkinson gives you, you know, for the next four years, averages 45 to 50 catches a year, 700 yards, four to five touchdowns, which is what good tight ends give you. I mean, unless you're going to be elite level, like, you know, Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz, and, and he's a solid blocker. I mean, that's, that's all well and good. That's not top 10 pick good. You need more from a top 10 pick needs to be a massive impact player. And if you're going to draft TJ Hawkinson with the eighth pick, could you maybe feature him in the offense a little bit? I mean, listen, offense really hasn't been the Lions' big problem this year. I understand that. But it, it, it's, a little, it's a little dumb. It's kind of dumb. It's really, again, it's getting way too cute. It's way too cute to draft a tight end with the eighth pick in the draft. Second round pick, we all know, Jelani Tobias. Now listen, to be fair, he's shown some signs this year. He's had some games where he's been awful. And like last week against the Bears and he had a game early against the Chargers, he played pretty well. But again, the whole world thought that, he was, that the second round for this guy was way too high. And again, when Chase Winovich, who plays down the road from you in your, in your backyard at University of Michigan, who's a pass rushing terror, is there, and you don't take him, and now, of course, he's playing great for the Patriots. And the Patriots got him in the third round, by the way. I would have been thrilled the Lions took him in the second round. Will Harris, third round pick, Boston College. Again, another guy drafted too high. It's been awful. It's been absolutely awful. Got burned for a touchdown last week. It's been terrible. Guys, he's a special teams player only. He has no, can't cover anybody. Couldn't cover anybody in college. I don't understand why they think all of a sudden he's going to cover guys in the pros. And he's very inconsistent against the run. And this is who they got rid of Quandre Diggs for. Quandre Diggs, by the way, who's on the Seahawks, who are 8-2, who had a big interception in last night's game against uh, the 49ers, their division rival, who's now 8-1. Couldn't play for the Lions, but somehow he could play for the Seahawks, who are a much better team. Because of Will Harris. Because you know the one that will teach his pets. Because Quandre Diggs dare speak his mind every now from, and again. He's not an automaton like Will Harris, who's just happy to be in the NFL and yes, coach, no coach, whatever you say, coach. And listen, I don't want to disparage Will Harris. I don't know the kid. And there's nothing wrong with being a hard work. I mean, listen, he's an effort kid. No, I'm not, I, 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 don't, I don't want to bash him. This is, a, this is an indictment on Bob Quinn. Okay, you don't dump Quandre Diggs because you have the, Will Harris waiting in the wings, who's shown very little. Austin Bryant, fourth-round pick, defensive end out of Clemson, has been hurt, hasn't played. Fifth-round pick, Amani Orion, uh, or 
Oruwarie, the big tall corner out of Penn State. Been hurt, hasn't played. Six-round pick, Travis Fulham. Out of the league, could have had um, Jacoby Myers from NC State, who's, who I wanted the Lions to draft, who, of course, made the Patriots roster and has contributed. Travis Fulham from Old Dominion didn't even make the team or made the team early and got cut right away. Then seventh-round pick, Isaac Nauta, who I like, tight end, undersized pass-catching tight end out of Georgia, is on a practice squad. So a lot, a lot still, obviously, to be determined here about this draft. But again, don't look to be like there'll be any studs coming out of the draft. You've got to get at least one stud every year or so. And I don't care. Don't talk to me, Bob Quinn defenders and acolytes, about, oh, he's picking the middle. Not this year. And the eighth pick in the draft this year decided to take a tight end. And again, I think Hawkinson's a fine player, and tight end's a tough position. Rookie's, rookie tight end's hard because he's got a lot on the plate because he's supposed to be a two-way player. But we've been down this road before. Brandon Pettigrew's a solid player, too. The Lions took him at 20, and that was a bad pick. Again, look at some of the stud tight ends in the NFL. None of them were first-round picks. Travis Kelsey was a second-round pick. Gronkowski was a second-round pick, for crying out loud. Zach Ertz was a second-round pick. George Kittle was like a fifth-round pick. If you're smart and you do your homework, you can find good tight ends in the third, fourth, and fifth round. You don't need to draft them in the top ten. It's beyond idiotic. Beyond. So look, line season is over. They play Dallas this week. Stafford's likely not going to play. Then they have the Thanksgiving game. I bet you Stafford comes back for that. And I'd like to see them beat the Bears just because I don't like the Bears. And, you know, they've got a couple other games that are quote-unquote winnable. They play Tampa Bay. They play Denver. I mean, they're not going to be a total disaster. They're not going to lose out. They'll probably win two or three more games here. But, I mean, really? Five, six wins? That's, that's what you're looking for? Again, Patricia took over a team that was 9-7. Bob Quinn took over a team that made the playoffs two years before and was 7-9 and nine and really should have been 9-7, maybe 10-6. and six. Plenty of talent. He took over a team with plenty of talent and a stud quarterback, and they haven't done a goddamn thing. And by the way, this idea that Patricia had to bring his dreaded the, you know, one of the, one of the two most dreaded words in sports, the culture change. Listen, I understand he does things differently than Caldwell, but this idea that the, the team was lazy or undisciplined under Caldwell, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, the penalties were way down under Caldwell. There was an air of professionalism around this team. And yeah, he's not a lunatic who runs his team into the ground like Patricia likes to do with his padded practices every two seconds so that guys can get concussions in practices like Miles Killebrew did last week. I don't mean to laugh. It's not funny that he got a concussion. I'm just saying, you know, Patricia's Mr. Tough Guy. You know, the lines are hurt all over the place. When Caldwell was here, he treated them like men, like grown-ups. And again, the reason the lines didn't win under Caldwell wasn't because there wasn't en enough professionalism or even toughness. It's a bunch of, that's a bunch of garbage. Okay, the reason they didn't win is because Bob Quinn doesn't know how to build an offensive line. All right, that's it. Sit on the lines. Let's go around the league. Big win for Seattle last night. 
end of overtime. Niners replacement kicker for Robbie Gould. Made one big kick, missed a big kick in overtime. Seahawks kicker Jason Myers made his kick right at the end. 27-24. Russell Wilson continuing to do great things. I'll tell you, that Niners defense is legit, though. That front is ridiculous with, you know, def the talented actor DeForest Kelly Buckner. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, Calvert DeForest Buckner. Calvert DeForest, I believe, was the talented actor that portrayed Larry Bud Melman on the David Letterman show. That's what I meant to say. So, yes, DeForest Buckner. Um, why can't I remember? Eric Armstead, both, you know, high picks. Solomon Thomas. Ronald Blair. You know, we've talked about Fred Warner, the middle linebacker from BYU, is outstanding. Secondary is good, led by Richard Sherman, Akilah Witherspoon. I mean, that, you know, you saw Jaquiski Tart with a phenomenal play last night, tracking down DK, DK Metcalf at the end of the first half, stripped the ball right as he was about to go in for a touchdown. Niners defense is legit. The offense is decent. No Kittle last night that hurt them. He's their best player. You know, Garoppolo, listen, everybody loves him because of the name, Jimmy G, and he was drafted by the Patriots. And He's a nice player. He, 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 he's okay. Let's put the brakes on putting him in Canton just yet, shall we? Made a couple mistakes last night. Now, look, he may improve and get better. I'm not saying this is a finished product, but again, exactly, it's my point. It's not a finished product. Everybody wants to try to crown him. Let's, let's hold off, please. Let's, let's, can, let, let's, let's see how he performs in a big game or a playoff game. He may do great. I, I, he might. But he hasn't played a lot of football. He's been hurt and then we're a backup most of his career so far. Unless I understand they're 8-1. They had a very soft schedule early. Seattle's the best team they played all season last night, and it was at home, and they lost. Now, I get it. The kicker missed the kick. Okay, it was still 47 in order. It's not a chip shot. But huge win for Seattle. Cowboys, you know, probably should have had AG on for this. But uh, Cowboys right now beat bad teams and don't beat good teams. I mean, if you look at the Cowboys' record right now, they're 5-4. and four. Look, Let's look at who they beat. They beat the Giants, who stink. I mean, the Giants just lost to the Jets, for crying out loud. They beat the Redskins, who are terrible. They beat the Dolphins, who are 2-7, and seven, although they've won two games in a row. They've lost to the Saints, winning record. Lost to the Packers, winning record. Lost to the Jets, somehow. So the Jets won win. Beat the Eagles. Okay, Eagles were really banged up, and they're not all that great. They're 5-4. and four. Beat the Giants again. And they lost the Vikings. So the best team that the Cowboys have beaten so far, the Eagles, who are also 5-4. Now, they get a little break this week because they're going to get the Lions without Stafford. Even with Stafford. Well, with Stafford, I think the Lions could win that game in a shootout. I understand the Lions defense played a little bit better last week. I mean, come on. It's against Mitch Trubisky and the Bears. I'm not, I'm not going to get all excited. Then they play the Patriots on Thanksgiving. Oh, no, sorry. They don't play the Patriots on Thanksgiving. They play the Patriots, then they play the Bills on Thanksgiving. Tough game. At New England, tough game. Bills at home, tough game. Bills' defense is good. Offense is still shaky, but that defense is good. At Chicago, 
Sunday night game, I think. Play the Rams at the Eagles, host the Redskins. And Cowboys got a tough schedule here down the stretch. And it's not, I don't think it's a guarantee Stafford's not going to play this week. I would imagine he's not. Lines haven't announced it yet because, you know, they're so smart and slick. You know, they don't give you any, any info on their injuries. Um, can you tell I don't happen to particularly care for Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia <laughs> and their way of doing things? Uh, so, I mean, all right, let's say you want to give them the Lions game, that's six wins. At the Patriots, you make that a loss. Bills, maybe they squeak past the Bills, okay? Thanksgiving, that's seven wins. At the Bears, they should win that game, that's eight. Rams at home, could lose. At the Eagles, could lose. But again, they, nine, ten wins should probably win, get that division done. Cowboys are a weird team. There are times they look great in the game. I mean, they look great at times in the Vikings game on Sunday. And there's other times the defense doesn't stop anybody. And Kirk Cousins, I hate to say it, but he's playing out of his mind. It's probably, this is the best he's ever played. He's not killing you with the big mistake in a close game. Dalvin Cook has been a revelation for the Vikings. He's a massive two-way threat, both running and, and catching the ball out of the backfield. He's a total stud. And the Vikings' defense is good. It's not great. You can throw on them. If you can get time, you can beat their corners. I mean, Xavier Rhodes is the most overrated cornerback in the history of pro football. I mean, that could, I mean maybe it's just against the Lions. Because the Lions, he never seems to do anything against the Lions. The Lions seem to have his number. But, I mean, I see that guy give up a ton of plays. And he gets called for a million penalties because, I mean, he clutches and holds and grabs constantly. But, you know, that line is, is tough. D-line is tough. they got good linebackers with Barr and Kendricks. So, you know, Harrison Smith's still a good player. Raiders, by the way, listen, i got to give some credit where credit is due. I killed Gruden all year last year. Uh, they what, won three in a row? They beat the, the, the Chargers the other night on Thursday. I mean, Phillip Rivers played awful, and he still only won 26-24. But they're playing better. Cleveland with a much-needed win over Buffalo. Bad loss for Buffalo. Cleveland got that one done 19-16. Cleveland really had a chance to make that a, a big, give themselves a big lead early. Couldn't punch it in from inside the five-yard line two separate occasions. And then, you know, from the, you, when, just when you think you know, you, you, the NFL tells you that you don't know anything. The Falcons, who are 1-7 and seven and reeling and talking about maybe firing Dan Quinn, you know, a team that was just in the Super Bowl a few years ago, goes into New Orleans, who looked like maybe the best team in the NFC, and beat them 26-9. <laughs> I mean, you just, you never know. You just never know. The Giants lost to the Jets. Chiefs lost to Tennessee. I mean, with Brian Tannehill, Really? Dolphins beat the Colts in, in Indianapolis. Oh, I'm glad I looked at this. Pittsburgh with a nice win, 17-12 over the Rams. Is there anybody doing a better job in the NFL right now than Mike Tomlin, the Steelers head coach? Think about it, right? In the offseason, they lost their top two offensive players in Bell 
and Antonio Brown. Say what you want about Antonio Brown, what a clown he is. When he played, he played hard, and he was arguably the best receiver in the NFL. Le'Veon Bell, like him or not, top three running backs in the NFL. Great receiver, great runner. Both those guys give you 10-plus touchdowns every year. That's a ton of production to try to replace. Now, I sit here every year and I tell you how great the Steelers organization is, and they just replace guys. I've gone through it for a million years. From Santonio Holmes to Plaxico Burris to Mike Wallace, and they just keep plugging and playing and re replacing guys, right? And, and, and they do for the most part. But, I mean, again, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are like MVP caliber players. Then Roethlisberger goes down in the first week. Then Mason Rudolph, who's only a second-year guy, then he gets hurt. And someone named Delvin Hodges plays, and they win a game with that guy. And now the Steelers are 5-4 and four and right back in the mix. And they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins, and all he's done is I think he's got, what, six turnovers, like five interceptions and a fumble recovery, and one I think he took back for a touchdown. The guy's been tremendous for them as a free safety ball hawk, what they desperately needed, what they haven't had pretty much since Palomalu retired. And TJ Watt's playing great at defensive end. Cam Hayward is always rock solid in there. Devin Bush, the rookie middle linebacker out of Michigan, also been tremendous with tons of big plays. I think he's got five or six takeaways as far as fumble recoveries and interceptions are concerned. And they played, I mean... Think about, think about losing your starting quarterback and your backup for a game. You play your third-string quarterbacks, a guy nobody ever heard of. You lose your top two offensive production players from last year. And you're 5-4. and four. No one is doing a better job in the NFL this year than Mike Tomlin. It's not even close. But that's what the Steelers do. Look, I understand they're not, they don't win the Super Bowl every year. They're not the Patriots. I understand that. But talk about a rock-solid organization that for the most part, year in, year out, is going to be competitive and make the playoffs. Because they draft well almost every single year. All right, let's move on. College football. So, big weekend. We had the big LSU-Alabama game in Tuscaloosa. LSU won 46-41. LSU was actually up what, I think 30 to 13 at one point in that game. Um, you know, Alabama scored a, a touchdown late that made it look a little closer than what it was. I mean, first of all, though, LSU, what are you doing playing press man at that point? It was like a minute and, what, 40 seconds left in the game. And they're up, what, 46, 20, no, 46, what they, they won 46, 41, right? So, if my advanced math degree tells me, then then they were up 46-34. Yeah, so you're up 12 with only two minutes left. What are you doing playing press man? I mean, you put the kid Stingley Jr. out there on an island one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, I know he's a stud, but, I mean, what, are you crazy? That's when you actually do play prevent. With There's that little time, and I think Alabama was out of timeouts. Just keep everything in front of you. It takes them... 30, 40 seconds to go down the field and score a touchdown, so be it. That was my only, my only quibble with what LSU did. Otherwise, I mean, look, uh, Joe Burrow, their quarterback, I mean, if he continues to, if LSU goes undefeated, 
There's your Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he played great against Alabama. 393 yards, three touchdowns, and a huge run to seal it for him pretty much late in the game. Right? They were up 33-13 at half. Like I said, Alabama kind of got a little bit of a garbage time touchdown late to, to make the score look a little closer than what it actually was. LSU kind of dominated that game. And you know what? It's funny. That game, Alabama took the ball down the field, opening drive, looked like they were going to roll, and uh, Tua, the quarterback, rolling out, just dropped the ball. Didn't get hit, nothing. Just dropped it. LSU recovered it, changed the whole complexion of that game. LSU got the ball, went right down the field and scored. So it changed the whole complexion of that game. I understand it's the first drive of the game. It changed everything. So obviously a huge win for LSU, and they're now going to be number one when they do the rankings for, you know, the four for the playoff. But look, there's a lot of, a lot of college football still left to be played. We still obviously have the championship games. But there were some interesting developments this weekend. Minnesota beat Penn State. Minnesota was undefeated and only ranked 17th because they hadn't played anybody. And they beat like Georgia Southern by like three points. But they handled Penn State pretty good. I mean, the final was 31-26. Penn State made it interesting late. But uh, Minnesota played great. Now, they got way too conservative early in that game. I thought P.J. Fleck, their head coach, took his foot off the gas a little bit, but they managed to escape. They made a big, they got a big interception late to seal that. Actually, I, I shouldn't say Penn State made a game of it late. Uh, Penn State had a chance to win late, and Minnesota got a big interception late. You know, Minnesota got everything went their way in this game, too. All right? They completed two huge third and longs. They got away with two pass interferences. Antoine Winfield Jr., whose father was a great player in the NFL, and a great player at Ohio State. He, he had a great game. I think he leads the nation with seven interceptions. He had a big interception early in that game. And, you know, I always make fun of P.J. Fleck and his dopey row the boat slogan because, you know, again, I, this idea that you would use another sport, especially a sport like, like crew and rowing, to apply to football makes no sense to me. But whatever... You know, it's funny, too, because I've, I'm always skeptical of these guys. I always think they're a bit of, they have a bit of a snake oil salesman quality to them. And it's interesting because Blackledge and McDonough did the game, and they actually mentioned that and said, you know what, our fraud meter was high when they went and met with them, and they seem to think he's a genuine article. So look, if he is, God bless. God bless. And he sprints out with the team when they come out of the tunnel and he runs up and down the sidelines and he's very animated. But, you know, look, he had a lot of success at Western Michigan. Um, he took the, the Minnesota job, right? And that sometimes could be, be careful what you wish for, right? Yes, Minnesota's a Power Five. They're in the Big Ten. It's a Power Five conference. Sometimes, be a good, sometimes it's good to be a big fish in a small pond. You know, Western Michigan, you have a couple of bad years, nobody's going to care. And if you win eight or nine games, you're a hero. Now, it's kind of the same thing in Minnesota, except the competition is much higher at Minnesota because you're in the Big Ten. you got to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin every year. And, you know, sometimes Northwestern is pretty good. And Iowa's always pretty solid. So, you know, but look, hats off to them. 
So Minnesota is, look, they're in the mix. If they make it through unscathed, which I don't think they will. Matter of fact, I think they play, well, they're going to they're gonna play Wisconsin later in the year. It's the, I believe that's the Paul Bunyan Axe game. Um, well, as a matter of fact, you know what? Let's go to it right now. Let's check out Minnesota's schedule for the rest of the year, shall we? So, so here, by the way, is why Minnesota, even though they were undefeated, was only ranked 17th. They beat South Dakota State, who's a 1AA team, by a touchdown first week of the year. Then they beat Fresno State, who's, I believe, in the Mountain West, is not particularly good by a field goal. Then they beat Georgia Southern by a field goal. Okay? Then they beat Purdue by a touchdown. Purdue's not any good. They blew out Illinois. They blew out Nebraska. They blew out Rutgers. They blew out Maryland. So they started to hit their stride. By the way, all of those teams aren't any. Well, I guess Illinois might be okay because they won again. But Nebraska stinks, Rutgers stinks, and Maryland stinks. So they're at Iowa this week. Now, I mean, you talk about a classic trap game. I mean, not even a trap game, but, you know, coming off the euphoria, the high of beating Penn State, right? Biggest win in the, in, in, certainly since P.J. Flex has been there, their head coach. But, you know, one of the biggest wins in the history of that program, because Minnesota football doesn't exactly have a long and storied history of success. So, and then they're at Iowa. You know Iowa's going to want to ruin Minnesota's season. And as I say, said, you know, Iowa, as if you've ever heard me talk about college football, you know I have an immense amount of respect for Iowa. That's not going to be an easy game. In fact, I'd be surprised if, if Minnesota wins that game. And then they're at Northwestern. Northwestern's having a down year. They're 1-8 overall, 0-7 in the, in the conference. And then they're home against Wisconsin. And that's, again, that's a big rivalry. That's a Paul Bunyan axe game. Wisconsin would love to spoil Minnesota's season, even if Minnesota is still undefeated at that point. So a lot still to go here in the Big Ten. A lot to be determined who makes the Big Ten championship game. Because Minnesota loses this game to Iowa, and then they lose to Wisconsin. Wisconsin, and assuming Wisconsin doesn't lose any more games, they'd be nine and they'd be... 6-2 in a conference, and Minnesota will be 6-2 in a conference, but Wisconsin, obviously, by virtue of beating Minnesota head-to-head, -head, would win the Big Ten West. And now in the Big Ten East, forget about Penn State. They had their loss. Ohio State's not losing this year. Let's see. Let me just see. I mean, unless they lose to Michigan, which you wouldn't, you know. Well, watch this would be the, yeah, I mean, Ohio... Ohio State plays Rutgers, by the way, the spread. Ohio State plays Rutgers this week. The spread in that game is 50.5. 50.5, which sounds insane until you factor in that Ohio State just beat Maryland 73 to 14, and they play, you know, I'm a Maryland alum. I'm not even mad. Ohio State played second and third string guys the whole second half, and Maryland couldn't stop them. Um, because Maryland's pretty much quit on the season, unfortunately. Michael Oxley has been a complete disaster. Boy, did I get that wrong. I thought it was a great hire. So far, it looks to be just as bad as DJ Durkin and Randy Edsel. But in any event, I, I digress. But Maryland beat Rutgers like 48-7. So <laughs> I, I, I think you take Ohio State laying 50 and a half. It's insane. Oh, and then they got to play Penn State, but they're at home and then at Michigan. So, I mean, I guess theoretically they could lose. I guess they could lose. Watch. Watch this speed finally the year Michigan breaks through against Ohio State. Boy, that would rile up my Ohio State peeps. 
But that would, I mean, that, that if there was any doubt that Harbaugh was going to stay, he beats Ohio State this year, he ain't going anywhere. And by the way, Michigan's had a decent year. I mean, they're 7-2. and two. You know, I understand they lost, they looked bad against Wisconsin. Whatever. And by the way, with Alabama's loss, that means Georgia is now back in the mix because they haven't lost since they lost that bad game to South Carolina. They beat Florida. They play Auburn this week, I believe. Let's see. Let's go to the schedule, shall we? Let's see what we got on tap for this week. So there's still a lot to be determined as far as who's going to be in the, 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 the last four, the, the final four, so to speak. So this week you've got, I thought, yeah, Georgia at Auburn, 3.30, CBS, Danielson and Nestler. Georgia's sixth right now. Um, what's the other big game? If there is one, I don't even really think there is one. That's probably the biggest game of the week. Yep. Clemson's back to five. They'll bring back into the top four, which I said last week. It was no big deal that they dropped out of the top five. It was, that was going to be short-lived, and it was. I think they do that show tonight where they announce the, uh, the rankings and who the, uh, the four in. But, I mean, there's still a ton of college football left to be played. I mean, look, LSU could stub their toe. I mean, you know I'm an LSU guy, but, I, you know, I don't trust them as far as I could throw them. I mean, great win, no question. At, at, you know, you win at Alabama, even if Alabama's having a somewhat down year, which maybe they are, that's still a huge win. Is LSU off this week? Is this where they get their little bye week? Might be. I don't see them here anywhere. LSU. Yeah, I think they might be off this week. Well, let's try to find out who they play. Let's see. Let's go to the SEC, shall we? South. Uh, really? Huh. What am I? Oh, there it is. Oh. Boy, I, I know I say it all the time, but this ESPN website really just not very good. All right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, they play. They're at Ole Miss. They should win that game. Ole Miss is not very good. So let's see LSU schedule the rest of the way. At Ole Miss, Arkansas at home. Arkansas just got blown out by West Kentucky and fired their coach. And then at home against Texas A&M. So LSU for sure should finish the season undefeated and be in the be the West representative in the SEC title game. Again, if Georgia wins out, they will be the representative from the Eastern Conference in the SEC title game. And if Georgia beats LSU in the SEC championship, they're going to be in the last four. So it's all there in front of Georgia. Now, Georgia's big issue is their offense has not been very good this year. Um, the quarterback has not played great. Defense is rock solid, but the offense has struggled. Even last week, it wasn't great. So, we'll see. But just a ton still left to go here in college football. All right, finally, let's get to the Knicks. So there's a report out from ESPN yesterday. Now, the Knicks have gotten, they had a, 
a nice win on Friday night against the Mavericks in Dallas, right? Porzingis, Doncic. Porzingis played pretty well at times, although he went deathly silent in the fourth quarter and fouled out, which is exactly what he did when he was with the Knicks. Again, he shot one for six in the fourth quarter in a close game and fouled out. Doncic was a rebel, you know, Doncic is a stud. He had a triple-double against the Knicks, although he did also have eight turnovers. Uh, it was the best game Nilakina has ever played for the Knicks. And his numbers weren't great, 14 points, four assists, six rebounds. But he played great defense, i got to give it to him. And he made four threes, and he made clutch plays late. So he played really well. Marcus Morris had a big game. Um, the Knicks can't make foul shots. They were awful. Barrett can't make a foul shot to save his life. Couldn't make a shot to save his life. Uh, the Knicks tried to give that game away because they couldn't make foul shots down the stretch, but they were able to hold on by the skin of their teeth. But it was, it was an encouraging win. You thought maybe, okay, I mean, Morris played well. He's played really well his last five games, scoring a lot of points. Randall was okay, 20 points. Wasn't great, but, you know, wasn't bad. I think he had 20 points, nine rebounds, four assists, something like that. But he also turns the ball over way too much. Dribbles the ball way too much. Taj Gibson came off the bench because Mitchell Robinson is hurt with a concussion. Solid performance, 12.9 rebounds. Had a big putback late. Bobby Portis played pretty well off the bench, like 12.8 rebounds, something like that. I mean, he might have had a double-double. You know. It gave you a little, a little glimmer of hope that at least the Knicks should be a competitive team this year. And then they went and got blown out at home on Sunday night by the Cavaliers. Embarrassed. Colin Sexton, who couldn't drop the ball in an ocean from a rowboat, lit them up for 31 points. They played no defense. They gave no effort, no energy. And the week before, they got blown out by the Kings who also aren't any good at home. So this is now, you play two lower-tier teams, teams that if you're going to be any kind of a competitive team, when you play them at home, you have to win. And not only did you lose, you weren't competitive, you got blown out. And so the Knicks are now 2-8, and eight, and so in a very strange turn of events, after that game, Steve Mills, president, and Scott Perry, general manager, had a press conference where Mills did most of the talk and Perry sat there looking extremely uncomfortable because apparently Dolan was at the game, saw it, heard the booze, watched the, the place empty out by the midway through the third quarter. And I guess he told these guys, this is unacceptable. And so now they're setting up Fisdale to be the fall guy and Mills basically said, look, we expect much more. So Mills is obviously in Perry, the guys that put this team together. There's a lot of debate as to whether or not these, this team that they put together is any good. My theory is these guys put up numbers. You have a lot of guys that are the best guy in a bad team. right? Marcus Morris is kind of like that. Julius Randle is kind of like that. Bobby Portis, even to a certain extent, is kind of like that. Very consistent. One game, Bobby Portis looks great. The next game, he looks awful. right? They still don't have a point guard. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. still hasn't played. Still dealing with the death of his stepmother. Alfred Payton got hurt like two seconds into the season. Hasn't been seen or heard from since. And again, Nilakina is very much a work in progress. Very much a work in progress. I mean, I, think, I don't even think he's 21. 
But he's never going to be a real stud point guard. He's just not. It's just not who he is. He doesn't have the athleticism. He's not a guy that's going to get into the paint and penetrate and break down a defense and set guys up for easy baskets and wide-open jump shots. It's just not who he is. He wasn't drafted to be that. Remember, he was drafted to play in Phil Jackson's now antiquated triangle plotting half-court offense. And the NBA don't play that way anymore. That's not how the game is played today. Everything's drive and kick, pick and roll, drive and kick to the corner for threes, or drive and, and, and draw the defense in and lay it off to guys for dunks. That's what the NBA is. For better or worse. I don't like it, but I'm just telling you that's how it is. Now, the one thing I will say is this. I wouldn't fire Fisdale 10 games in the season. That's ridiculous. But he hadn't shown me a lot either, I got to tell you. I mean, the fact that this team came out so dead flat against uh, Cleveland on Sunday night, I'm sorry. That's an indictment. I'm sorry. What am I, Canadian? I'm sorry. That's an indictment on the coach. And they've had already two or three games where they've come out completely flat. That can't happen. And, you know, you want to moan and groan about Julius Randle. Well, where's the coaching staff to tell him, hey, stop pounding the ball 17 times. Pass the damn ball. And if he doesn't do what you tell him, then pull him out of the game. Now, we all know the common denominator here, just like it is with the Mets, it's the same with the Knicks, is that Dolan is, is the problem. The owner is a disaster. And Steve Mills somehow has managed to stick around this thing forever. And I don't understand why anybody has any faith in him either. And same thing with Scott Perry. You know, Scott Perry's track record and resume in the NBA as a general manager isn't exactly spotless. But again, Fisdell, I mean, you got to show me something. Show me a team that comes out playing with their hair on fire. Again, you know, Brian Flores, poly prep graduate, has a thing called... Uh, what does he call it? It's all stuff that basically requires no talent. Show up on time. Play hard. Don't commit dumb penalties. Like, he's got, like, these basic tenets that he's outlined with the Dolphins. That's what should happen here with the Knicks. You know, playing hard does not require talent. Playing good defense, yes, sometimes if you're just shorter and slower than the other guy, it doesn't matter how hard you play. But these guys are NBA athletes. There's no reason why other teams' guards should be knifing through the, the Knicks' defense like a hot knife through butter. That's all effort stuff. And that falls squarely on the coach. So I would say this. They have the next 10 games, if they don't at minimum go 5-5 five and five, and at least play hard in every single game, and they want to go ahead and make a change, listen... I don't trust these guys as far as I can throw them, but I also can't sit here and argue with it either. Fizzell just hasn't shown much. And I understand last year the deck was stacked against them, but again, where was the accountability? Where was the effort? I mean, Kevin Knox is out there lazily running around, giving very little effort. I mean, that, that's unacceptable. He's a 19-year-old kid. And if that's just not who he is, then what did you draft him for in the first place? And by the way, Fizzell was a big proponent of his. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on 
Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, the website's JamalAboutSports.com. Twitter account is at JamalAboutSportNOS. Enjoy all the sports. Until next week, peace out.